Welcome, guys, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Meet Med podcast. Now, today I'm joined by my very special guest, uh, Megan Pfeffer. I think that's how we say your surname. I hope I said that right. We didn't practice. <laughs> Uh, Megan uh, is joining me today from Melbourne and Megan is a nutritionist who does a lot of work uh, in the low-carb keto space uh, with patients for uh, lipedema, lymphedema and lots of other issues as well. So Megan, perhaps you can give our listeners and viewers a little bit of background about yourself. Sure, happy to. Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me here. It's great to be talking with you. Absolutely thrilled to be talking to anyone about uh, keto, carnivore, low carb, anything in that space, but particularly so in the lipedema area because it's very much an area that needs advocacy and uh, needs awareness raised. So I'm a clinical nutritionist. I've been in private practice for the last five years. I've also worked with organisations in, in the US and am now an advisory board member for Lipedema Australia. So I do specialise in low carbon ketogenic um, uh, therapeutic lifestyles for women in particular with these conditions uh, because it's something that I do have myself. So lipedema is a connect, it's a loose connective tissue disorder. Um, we, we also call it a fat disorder. Uh, some people refer to it as painful fat. So it's a very separate disease to obesity and separate to lymphedema, but it is often misdiagnosed as either of those because it's not taught in medical school or myself when I first came across it, I had a client to me come who had lipedema and lymphedema and was utilising keto for those but needed some help and I had never heard of the condition so I had to research it and once I started that I realised I had the condition myself. So it's really not well known but it is certainly in, um, in desperate need for, as I said, more awareness to be raised in this area. Uh, because so many people are misdiagnosed and we really, we really do need people to be aware that there is a different treatment plan um, that's required for women with lipedema. Yeah, wow. I mean, you said there that uh, obviously we can go into the differences, of course, between lymphedema and, and, and uh, lipedema. Um, you mentioned that, that you have lipedema yourself and that's kind of almost how you got you got started in this. And, and that's something that we hear so much. It's so very common on these online like, podcasts, all the, pretty much all the interviews I've done so far. You know, people saying they got into it because their own health issue that it's something that's just so common um so you were doing you know kind of low-carb keto work already before that but then that's how you got into the lipedema side of things that's right yes so when i was doing my health science degree i just really uh was very aware of the low-carb space at that time and and was really you know researching a lot of that so uh we had we had some um uh, some supervisors while I, while I was studying who would support low carb or, or keto, but really the bulk of the knowledge throughout the course was taught as the flexitarian approach that we now know as the dietary guidelines and, and what we're taught about that. And the more I found out about the background around those and uh, you know, the more I researched myself, the more I realised that low-carb and keto just made so much sense and really fitted for me because I really identified with the overeating carbohydrates, um, putting on weight rapidly when I reached my 40s and, you know, having osteoarthritis in my, in my fingers and... And those types of things. So when I finished my health science degree, I decided to to go keto, and uh, and did that with my mum, who was around seventy five at the time, because she had severe osteoarthritis in her hands, where she was finding it difficult to close her hands to to use cutlery, and she was uh, pre diabetic. And, and obviously had some weight issues as well. So we both decided to do that together and it was just such a fabulous experience. We both, you know, lost weight. Um, you know, the osteoarthritis that I had in my hands uh, has all but disappeared. Uh, if I go back off keto, that will start coming back again. Uh, but, you know, so there were just so many health benefits that came with that. And the thing with my mum is that she was already doing low carb, but got some health benefits from that. But like a true carb addict, um, she was still overdoing the carbs on the low carb. So, you know, we're starting to overdo the sweet potatoes and any form of carbohydrate that was there, she was, was overdoing it. 
So I think, you know, just determining which way is best for you to go, because of course, low carb keto carnivore, three sort of distinct entities that I think can be used for very distinct um, health reasons. Um, And yeah, so that's, that's um, something that each individual has to determine, I think, for themselves, whether it's coming from a carb addiction point of view where you no longer feel you can control your relationship with carbohydrates, or whether it's coming from a, you know, a gut health point of view or other medical condition point of view where everything and anything seems to be irritating you and you need to sort of do an elimination type type thing. Uh, yeah, so that that's, of course, different for everyone. But it was so, certainly something that my mum and I found to just be wonderful. And and then finding out that I had lipedema, which of course is different to lipidemia, which is a blood fat disorder. Uh, this is a disproportionate body fat disorder. So you can really see it quite clearly. Once you know about it, it's quite obvious. Obesity you tend to see in the trunk of the body, whereas women with lipedema um, can have this disorder and, and you know, quite adva- advanced without it necessarily having obese without necessarily having obesity. So they'll have this very small waist, no truncal obesity, but they'll have that disproportionate weight gain in the lower part of the body. It might just be the hips and buttocks. It could be the thighs as well. It might go all the way down to the ankles, where you'll see a very distinct ankle cuff, and the feet will be spared. And women can also have it in the arms, in the upper arms. Uh, but it can also, we're now discovering a lot of the literature talks about it being in the legs and perhaps the upper arms, but we now also know that it really can occur in all kinds of areas. It can also be in the abdomen. Um, some people report having it uh, on, their, on in their scalps, in the, on their head. Uh, so it's really, it can be quite ex- extensive. But when you see the pictures of the advanced stages, it is quite obvious. It's a little harder to pick perhaps in the earlier stages, but it's something that we find uh, women with lipedema respond well to lowering their insulin. And in the standard of care in the US at the moment, for example, they recommend uh, you know, following a dietary approach that helps to reduce inflammation and helps to reduce insulin. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a very good, very big kind of description of what, what, what uh, lipedema is. Um, and certainly uh, we know it predominantly affects women. Uh, of course, men can have lipidema, but it's pretty uncommon, it's pretty rare. Um, but if there are any men out there that are listening uh, to this conversation and thinking if they have it, then yeah, often there will just be this, this very kind of unusual fat deposition, this you know, disproportionate uh, fat deposition. And as you said, mostly predominantly with, with kind of fairly classical obesity, if I can call it that. Yeah, uh, usually it's, 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 it's whole body, you know, kind of, whereas lipidema is very much you know, kind of uh, central sparing. Dis- disproportionate, yes. Unless you, you know, as we said, in, if, if obesity is involved as well, and it often progresses to that because it is a very socially isolating disease and it mm-hmm. also impairs mobility. So once people start to lose mobility uh, and people start staring at their, at their legs because they're so unusual, they tend to really retreat. And so it certainly has that psychosocial impact where people uh, do retreat. And look, the literature reports that lipedema in men is very rare. I have a sneaking suspicion that it actually it is more common than is reported. It would be, I think, uh, yeah, I think anecdotally, certainly when you talk to people, um, the more women you talk to, the more people who say, oh, I knew an uncle who had this, I knew a neighbour who had this. So whereas the literature, you know, really is saying that it's it's extremely rare, yet, you know, when we do talk to, to women, it it's more often reported. So I think, you know, men can certainly have hormonal disturbances that can that can lead to that as well. But the other important thing I wanted to just mention there is that it's not just that disproportionate weight that is a, that's an indication uh, of lipedema. There are other factors that the painful fat, for example, is is a good one. And some women are in constant pain all the time with their legs. Some women's legs feel very heavy and achy. That they have to elevate them a lot. Um, sometimes there's that uh, orthostatic edema. Uh, whereas at the end of the day, you know, from being on your feet for a long time or even sitting a long time can create, you know, fluid around the ankles and more fluid in the legs. Flying on airplanes and being in humid weather can create more swelling. But there's also 
for other women, it might just be pain uh, upon pressure. So if someone were to touch their legs, and it's very common for people to say, oh, you know, when the grandkids jump on my legs or when my cat jump on, on my legs, that that's painful, I think is a really strong indication that something's going on because that shouldn't be painful. Pain is not normal when there's pressure placed uh, upon your legs. And there can be other things like easy bruising um, that can be telltale signs as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and, and this is, it's quite different to cellulite because there's going to be some people out there thinking, oh, well, I, you know, I've, I've got cellulite. Is this, is this what the pudding is? Um, I think the, as far as I'm aware, anyway, the main difference there is that cellulite is predominantly cosmetic, uh, isn't particularly painful, uh, whereas lipedema is, you know, usually you know, painful and that yes. can certainly be the difference there. That's right. And, you know, whether there is some kind of connection between the two and one is a very mild version perhaps and one are more severe or whether there are more, you know, we don't know the genes that are involved yet. We know there are likely to be a few. Uh, you know, we um, every now and then another one comes up that we can associate with lipedema and they have found some things that link lipedema to lymphedema, although they are distinct and separate diseases, they could perhaps potentially be of the same uh, genetic origin or they have been the same family. Um, the lymphatics, uh, um, you know, micro sort of vascular um, leaky blood vessels and leaky lymphatics tend to be an issue with lipedema. So we know that that is a problem. But in lymphedema, where, where the lymphatics are no longer functioning properly. In lipedema, the lymphatics are still functioning, but because there's excess vascular growth, um, excess leakage from the capillaries, the lymphatics are not able to keep up with that. So there tends to be a lot of, um, there tends to be fluid that goes into the, into the tissues, uh, which is a very contentious issue at the moment of how much edema is in lipedema. Um, and we don't need to go into, into that today, but uh, yeah, certainly uh, lymphedema and lipedema are, um, do have a link in there somewhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you mentioned there, of course, hormones uh, and hormonal imbalance, uh, disproportionate hormones. I wonder if you can maybe expand a little bit on that and the hormonal issues that might lead to perhaps uh, yeah, well, one of the one of the issues with lipedema is the, we don't really know the etiology, so we don't know exactly what's causing it, even though we've known of lipedema for over eighty years. So, uh, but as far as we we do know, it's influenced by hormones. So it tends the major triggers tend to be times of of large hormonal fluctuations. So puberty tends to be the most common time for it to be triggered. So women are living with this condition from the teenage years and as you can imagine how difficult that is to be, you know, to, to know that you're different and your legs are different and sometimes very heavy and large and that you really stand out can be very traumatic for, for people going through puberty. Um, but also times of, of um, pregnancy and menopause, uh, perimenopause, those things can uh, also trigger. But not only that, um, those times of hormonal fluctuations, it can also be times of uh, surgeries and chronic major traumas to the body and to the tissues, for example, that can also trigger that. Uh, I know myself that I had uh, surgery, I had a double mastectomy a couple of years ago after breast cancer. I'd been through chemo, the you know, lipedema hadn't been triggered. I was, you know, quite a healthy, um, healthy, nice weight. I was a size eight to 10. And it wasn't until I had the surgery of a double mastectomy that um, that rapid weight gain really sort of took off. And, you know, 25 kilos later over a six month period, um, that weight gain became quite rapid. So yeah, different things can certainly contribute to it. But they talk about, you know, estrogen obviously um, most likely linked because it happens at those times. But of course, other hormones uh, are triggered in those times. So there's links to progesterone and, and other hormones as well. And all of that links in with insulin too, as you know, that um, estrogen influences uh, uh, insulin um, so much, which again, at times of menopause, of those uh, estrogen reductions and you know increasing insulin resistance, uh, is is um, a factor at play as well. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Gosh, I mean, uh, I hope hopefully you're all well now from the breast cancer. I am. Thank you. <laughs> Good, fantastic. Um, did you have? I'm just curious. Did you have any um, like chemotherapy or any uh, endocrine, you know, hormonal therapy at all? Blockers, you know, yeah, like I, I did. I had uh, I had three months worth of chemo, 
throughout which time I was very glad that I was already keto and I used fasting, you know, three days, I'd do three day fasts through chemotherapy and found I had very few side effects. Uh, nausea was one of them. I declined steroid in the first the first few sessions of of chemo, and didn't feel that I needed them. I didn't I didn't want the blood sugar dysregulation and other factors with the steroids. I, I did need them by the last chemo because, funnily enough, the backs of my legs, the tops of the backs of my legs, which is a particularly problematic area for lipedema, were becoming sore. So I could tell the inflammation in the back of my legs had been had been triggered in that way. Uh, so I took I took the steroids, which helped. Yeah. But I did decline, sorry, the second part of your question was the hormone replacement therapy, which, uh, sorry, not hormone replacement therapy, but hormonal therapy. I um, uh, declined uh, tamoxifen. I wasn't, um, yeah, that wasn't for me, but obviously plenty of women do take that with um, hormone-sensitive cancers. Yeah, so I, so I guess it was, and my question was going to be, you know, was it maybe the estrogen uh, the you know, receptor blockers, tamoxifen and so on, that maybe was the issue, but obviously you didn't have that. You know, curious, uh, obviously we'll probably never really know, was it the surgery that, that triggered it? Was it the chemotherapy that triggered it? And you know, yeah, we talk, is, of the course, surgery, about... The surgery was quite a few months after the chemo. And, yeah, so it, it was really... Um, yeah, but you're, but you're right. I mean, it's it's hard to know, and it could certainly be the combination of, of both, which I would suspect would be at play too, given that yeah, the inflammation and, and pain that the chemo did cause um, certainly mm -hmm. didn't help. No, it's certainly just you know could be likely to be both. Um, it's interesting you mentioned there, of course, that the, the keto seems to help you through the chemotherapy, and I, I've heard that before. I certainly heard that a number of times. Um, and, and that's very interesting and, and why that, that might be, I could only, you know, kind of presume it's something to do with, with the autophagy um, that's involved reducing the inflammation, you know, improve cellular repair and so on. But, um, did you have a baseline to compare that to? Were you kind of not keto for part of it and then keto? Did you, were you just keto for the whole of the chemotherapy? Uh, I, was, I had already been keto for quite some time before yeah, before the cancer diagnosis. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so no, no um, direct baselines to, to compare before and after that time. Yeah, I had a patient not long ago, actually, I can't recall what, what cancer they had, but they were having chemotherapy. And uh, they actually did a kind of a, a test because they felt really terrible from the first couple of rounds. And then they'd read, uh, it wasn't my suggestion, they'd actually read just online themselves that their keto could help. Um, and then they went, they went keto, and then they actually had had a much better outcome. And I've heard this on other people's podcasts, yes, you know, as well, well. That, that keto really seems to help with the chemo. Absolutely. Well, I think you know, it, it. I think it just makes sense that you know, with the metabolic theory of of, of cancer, which you're no doubt familiar with, that. Uh, if glucose is a major fuel of, of cancer, then uh, then keeping your insulin levels down low and keeping your carb intake down low and having that low, um, you know, glucose um, to ketone index, having that that ratio optimal, and uh, you know, it just it just makes sense. I think that you take away one of the fuel sources that you can. That's a little harder with glutamine, which is a, another um, fuel source. Uh, but yes, I think it is definitely something that just makes you feel s stronger and without having that metabolic dysregulation, because it certainly yeah, lets that inflammation be really low and keeping, keeping that low just helps the body in so many other ways, as well as I think, you know, keeping oxidative stress down, because we know that that's really, you know, a, a bypass of metabolism anyway, and, you know, overnutrition, and funnily, when you sit there having chemo, they wheel the, the, the trolley carts around that are laden with scones and cakes and feeding people up with sugar while they're having chemo is, uh, is just such a major contradiction. But so many benefits. But I also find that the fasting, and yes, there are some cancers that actually thrive with autophagy, um, but the my particular cancer wasn't one of those. So the autophagy certainly helped and, and is said to... Um, you know, strengthen the cells that um, are our healthy cells and also to then um, lower the strength of the cancer cells uh, so that they're more, um, can be better targeted by, by the chemotherapy. And I, I certainly found that the, the case as far as lowering uh, side effects from it all 
uh, yeah, whereas a lot of people, you know, have so many side effects from and complications. And I found even from things like having double mastectomy where you have drains inserted and some people live with those for months, usually weeks. Um, I had them out on day four. I didn't have a problem with that fluid uh, fluid at all. So, hmm. yeah, Wow, day four, that's very early. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, certainly uh, I see that in practice, you know, with people not, particularly breast cancer, chemotherapy and so forth, but just, you know, general recovery, general injuries. Uh, people do just seem to be, um, I think, less prone to injury. Maybe I'm, that's not a go, but there's not many evidence as far as I'm aware there, but they certainly seem to recover quickly. Uh, and I know myself, certainly on carnivore diet now, I mean, my recovery time is just, it's just crazy. Um, I had a patient uh, last week who had a, a, a back injury. Uh, he's a manual, manual worker um, and, and uh, he, he fell over backwards and, and hurt himself. And it's not a terrible you know, injury. He could walk around and everything. But he, you know, he was off work, work for a good, good couple of weeks. Um, and I just mentioned, you know, he asked me, that what, what can I possibly do to help me heal a little bit quicker? And I said, look, there's no evidence for this. But anecdotally, it seems to help, you know, with recovery from exercise. Therefore, you could try it. And uh, he was pretty keen. So he actually went carnivore for, for a week. And uh, yeah, he just, he went from just this yeah, pretty bad back pain, you know, it wasn't really recovering to just, it was almost completely better in a week. And he said, well, you know, I feel also amazing. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna carry on, you know, with doing it, which is great. Um, so uh, let's go back if we can to lipedema. Um, and you mentioned, of course, that low carb and, and keto can help lipedema. Um, is that primarily through the insulin and insulin resistance, do you think? Because we don't really know exactly how lipedema really works, what causes it, you know, really how to treat it. No, but we do know, uh, you know, there are studies that show on, on a biopsy that, you know, there is a lot of inflammation, as there is with, with obesity, um, similar in that way in that you'll find these hypertrophied adipocytes. So the fat cells are becoming larger than, than they should be. And so that initiates an immune response. And so the body sends in these immune cells, um, these neutrophils to try to fix what's going on, which, you know, which is what is the body does to help with acute inflammation. It says this, in, does this inflammatory response, uh, the body fixes it and everything goes back to normal, but the body can't fix it. So it keeps sending cells to help with that. And then macrophages are sent in and we get these crown-like structures, which can also happen. So these sort of multinucleated cells. And we, we also get that um, with obesity, but in lipedema, they tend to be very irregular shapes and sizes. And so we know that there's also, you know, these, um, this fluid coming in with the tissues, particularly in advanced stages, uh, perhaps not so much in the early stages, but once it starts to become more advanced, that that all aggravates inflammation as well. And inflammation left long enough in lipedema can lead to fibrosis, uh, where the tissues go from being um, from being spongy to then going to being harder. And uh, yeah, so that's sort of all, all at play as well. So I think anything that's going to help reduce inflammation is going to be particularly helpful. And, uh, and that's also, of course, having high insulin levels uh, is an inflammatory state to be in. And we know that with um, ketone bodies themselves, you know, have medicinal qualities. So studies do show that uh, the ketone bodies, in particular beta-hydroxybutyrate, interrupts the inflammasome pathway. So that NLRP3 pathway, um, that ketones can really help to lower that inflammation uh, which is why it's particularly good. So low carb will still be helpful because you're taking away the bulk of the, pro well, taking away the processed foods, that's going to help anyone. And also reducing some of the carbohydrate load is going to help as well. Uh, but then the thing with, um, that I find with women with lipedema predominantly in my clinic will have, will have a relationship they, that they can no longer control with carbohydrates. So as I was saying before, low carb can be great for a lot of people and is enough to do healing and to get them back on, on track and to you know, get their metabolic health going. But for people who have a relationship where they can't control, their, they can't moderate their carbohydrate intake, it often takes complete abstinence to, to heal that relationship. And so some people think, oh, look, I just, I have a sweet tooth. I couldn't possibly go without 
it would be too hard to go without those foods. Well, I think they usually are typically the people that need that and, and actually need to separate from them because it just keeps feeding the addictive pathways and separating mm. from some of those things that feed into that is, is really what helps to repair it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've spoken myself previously on, on this channel uh, about my issues with carbohydrates. And I've come to accept now uh, through the carnivore diet, it's kind of opened my eyes really to my own issues. And I'm, I'm just addicted to sugar. I can't moderate. I just I lack that ability. Um, whereas now, on, and, and so I, I always struggled with low carbs. I struggled with keto. I loved it. I felt amazing. Um, and I do it for a while, but I always managed, I always came off because I would just, I would be that person that kind of just, well, you know, so low carb, I can have 50 grams, I can have 70 grams maybe. So I'll, I'll eat, I'll eat 70 grams, you know, or oh, I've only had 69 today. I'm going to have another gram, you know, I can, <laughs> yes. I can sneak a gram. And keto would be like, oh, well, you know, I probably should have maybe 30, 40 and oh, you know, some I'd say 50, so I'll just do 50 and oh, I can, I can do 51 tomorrow today and I'll do 49 tomorrow. Then I'll just do 52 tomorrow. Then I'll fifth. Well, then I can just do low carb anyway. You don't have to do keto. You know, I just kind of creep, creep, creep. And I just, I just lack the ability to moderate. Um, so for me, carnivore, of course, is a ketogenic diet in its nature, but then it's just as close to, you know, really zero carb as, as kind of humanly possible. And for me, that's, that's just, and I've used this word before, uh, it's just freedom. It's food freedom for me. Um, and this is where I, I, I do take issue with the kind of the, the quote unquote balanced, you know, diet, everything in moderation, because you're asking people to moderate hyper addictive foods. Uh, we know that people struggle with that. And, and if there's people out there listening to this saying, oh, yeah, but I can, I can just have a Tim Tam and it's fine. You know, I can just eat one. Well, great. Really for you. Mm -hmm. Most people can't, you know, a lot of people struggle and, and we have to recognize that some people do just have that sugar addiction and it's not their fault. You know, it's, it's a very real thing. Absolutely. And certainly there are studies out there showing that, you know, sugar is as, as addictive, if not more addictive than, than cocaine. That's right. Um, and, th and those addictive pathways, you know, not only is, uh, you know, uh, includes alcohol, cigarettes, caffeine, sugar, dairy, flour, you know, it includes quite a number of foods and the more in that combination that you have at the one time. So, you know, we know mm. that, you know, with, with the fats and the, and, and, uh, the, and the sugar and all of those combinations, um, but some people can really overdo the dairy, for example, and can actually have that addictive sort of side to that with dairy. So you might say, well, dairy could be really great for people with carnivore, for example, that, you know, it's still, it offers a lot of, it helps you get a better nutrient profile and can really add in some nice things. But if that's feeding into your addictive pathways and that's something that you need yeah. to to regulate so that's something we need to to keep in mind but i think this thing you know for, for women with lipedema it's very much um a double-edged sword i suppose because a lot of women aren't eating enough so it's different to obesity that is that often comes from overeating but not always and uh, there are some people who you know we know that weight gain can happen from under eating as well it doesn't just straightforward mean that you're overeating yeah. but women mm -hmm. with lipedema have often done so many diets out there because it is really difficult to have large legs you know a lot of people can still wear great clothes and and, you know, they might have that weight around the middle, but to have legs that, you know, really can be confronting, particularly as, as, they, adv as they advance, it really changes the appearance of your legs. Um, so they try every diet out there, which of course doesn't work or it works, calorie restriction, of course, will work for anyone initially. Um, and then, you know, you lose weight, but the rebound weight gain will happen. Uh, it won't necessarily work for women with lipedema who don't really have any normal fat to lose. So if they simply have lipedema fat in their legs, uh, then they will just become emaciated and take the weight off their upper body that they perhaps already don't have weight to lose there. So telling these women to eat less can actually be more harmful. And we know lipedema weight doesn't just respond to calorie reduction and most calorie reduced diets include a lot of foods that still feed the addiction as we know that's what keeps people hooked to those diets so you're still feeding the insulin and that that fat cell growth um, and you're still feeding the inflammation 
And uh, yeah, so that that's not very helpful. So the for people who have done that, if you've been dieting meticulously for months and it's not working or you're starting to then put on weight and craving carbs, which is where generally people think they've lost their willpower, but actually it's just your your body's hormones taking over and upregulating your, you know, your hormones, your hunger hormones and your, your carb craving hormones, um, that's, you know, it's, it's debilitating. And so women will then tend to emotionally eat because they think, well, I'm now craving all of these foods and that can lead to binge eating disorder uh, and, you know, uh, emotional eating too because you want that instant gratification. You, you want to feel better and going to doctors and asking for help um, or going to anyone and asking for help and not being given answers, um, trying everything you can but nothing's working, um, it is, you know, it's just uh, such a difficult place to be in. And so we know that that can really tap into um, to strong emotions and, you know, particularly if people don't have healthy ways to deal with strong emotions, we know that food is a, uh, an easy way to deal with just about any type of heightened emotion. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, we turn to food for, you know, we feel happy, we eat, we feel sad, we eat, we feel joyful, we eat, you know, we turn to food for, for emotions all the time. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty soul destroying for people to, to go to their doctor, you know, asking for help. It takes a lot of courage to go to the doctor and ask for help, um, especially for anything that's around weight or perceived to be, you know, weight issues and, or, or, or fat issues, because you know, there is a lot of fat shaming that happens uh, in the medical community um, and across, you know, society. Um, and, uh, and and so often then, you know, people will get a negative experience because the doctors just assume, well, you're just, you know, you're, you're, just, you're just fat and lazy, you know, and I'm just not going to bother helping you because you clearly can't help yourself, uh, which is a terrible attitude to have. But some, some, some doctors do seem to have that attitude, or at least that's the take-home. From the patients maybe it's a communication error but at least that's the perceived message that people get um or they just get told you know eat less move more uh which of course we know just doesn't just doesn't work and, and clearly for lipidema as you're explaining of course as well it's just even less you know that it's going to work um so it, it takes a lot of courage for people to to go and then see their doctor and then it's just a shame they kind of get this, this advice which is which is a real problem um do you see with lipidema um, that it's that it's linear, like the less sugar you eat, the more it improves, or is is kind of low carb as effective as keto, assuming that someone can stick to that. Uh, well, I it's hard to say as far as the actual lipidema weight. We're not talking about that, of course, because we can't. You know, we we don't have studies that actually measure that, and we studies are very low. And I have co-authored a paper on ketogenic diet as a potential intervention for lipidema, but we don't have follow-up studies on those types of things yet. And we're gradually getting there. There are more and more pilot studies being done and other clinical studies, but we don't have a, a lot of results. Um, I, I do find that women uh, do 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 better on on keto, and mostly for that reason that I've only met probably a few women who feel like they can control their relationship with carbohydrates. And of those few, they tend to be uh, people who hit the gym hard. So they're over exercising and they're playing out. I think that um, overcompensating in that area, uh, so that food is not an issue for them. And that's just my experience. I'm sure there are a lot of other, you know, things in between that, that fit with that. And of course, people are coming to me because they want to deal with their weight. So that's the end. That's the group of women that I'm seeing in my, my clinic that, that you would normally um, see asking for that, that help. So of women who aren't looking to lose weight that I've not spoken to, of course, I can't speak for that, for that subgroup. Um, but you know, we do know that because we're dealing with a lot of inflammation and because ketone bodies uh, actually do help lower inflammation. Uh, and, and I guess even from the fact of I definitely do see people report lower pain, um, lower pain when they go keto. And for some women, that's quite drastic. I've spoken with women before who have been about to go on to morphine patches. Their pain, the pain in their legs has been so intense um, and, you know, with just no reprieve from it 
And, and of course, that also means it like that affects your life. And I've had this happen to me with the weight gain that I had. And, you know, some people, I certainly don't look obese, but just with that weight gain that I had, I register as obese on my BMI because most of the weight is carried in the legs. It doesn't matter that my waist is small. Uh, it's not a very good measurement, but it's, um, you know, it can be really hard to even want to stand in the kitchen and, and cook good foods and, and things like that. Um, because it's painful to stand on your feet for a long time but keto for some women you know they get up and and notice it the next day as soon as they've gone into ketosis that pain levels have dropped and and yeah for, for some people they've you know it means coming off pain medications which is fantastic uh and so of course depending on what else is contributing to the pain that's not a, a guarantee that everyone will have no pain if you have lipedema and go keto but it's certainly a big a big help yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned, of course, there are a couple of times ketone bodies have been highly anti-inflammatory and, and BHV, beta-hydroxybutyrate, is one of the main ketone bodies, of course, that's produced. Uh, and certainly, um, you know, this I've heard other podcasts, you know, talking about this, of course, um, particularly as it, as it retain, you know, kind of pertains to uh, a carnivore diet. And of course, everybody then says, well, you know, you're not having any fiber, you're, you're going to get bowel cancer. Um, you know, the papers that look at the, the risk of bowel cancer and reduction perhaps with fiber talk about using uh, the anti-inflammatory effect of butyrate, which is the kind of broken down, the fibers broken down in the gut to then produce butyrate. Um, but a carnivore diet, you're going to have so much butyrate circulating all through your body, including the colon. You're going to be far, far more than you're going to get from breaking down a little bit of fiber. Um, I just thought I'd just throw that, throw that in there just in case anyone heard that. I uh, wanted to, to, to do that. Uh, to look into that. Um, speaking of carnivore, I mean, obviously we've totally spoken about low carb, we've spoken about, about keto. Do you talk about carnivore diet at all with with your patients? Just taking that one step further. I do. I don't tend to use it a lot. Uh, some women will come to me specifically wanting to do carnivore and we will do that. I have a lot of people though who don't want to be that severe or that it may be that they just want to include a few other things. Um, quite often I'll eat very close to carnivore, but not quite carnivore. So I don't put a lot of focus on vegetables and quite often I will just have, um, you know, meat and meat and eggs or you know, some, some dairy and uh, like to keep it as close to carnivore as possible, but I don't, uh, I'm not strict with that and I don't um, necessarily yet, yet aim for that specifically, but I do feel better without having a whole lot of uh, fruit and fruit and vegetables. So I think for everyone, it's different. Um, one of the issues I find is that I tend to women with lipedema can have problems with histamines, and so this is where we start to get into other areas of food intolerances and which which way of eating do you go to there? Because for example, beef tends to be a very highly consumed meat product when we're talking about carnivore. But actually beef is a very aged product and anyone with histamine issues that can really aggravate. So it tends to be something that I take out of the diet uh, when I'm helping women um, go through an elimination phase. And so that will be for people who have a lot of histamine symptoms and you know, have um, seasonal allergies and uh, you know, other symptoms that that you know really kind of show that there's some histamine problems there so that's sort of how i tend to navigate it so when you're taking uh, a lot of things out you tend to be able, you want to be able to put in there what you can and get people to a point where they're no longer having symptoms and so some people choose to use a carnivore diet to do that and some people react really well to that but i think it's a little trickier when when you're dealing with other intolerances um, that you want to, yeah, that you need to kind of navigate the, through those types of things. So I'll tend to, to have people who use some vegetables and, um, you know, some, some dairy if they can. Some people can't do that. Uh, but certainly, you know, tend to focus on things more like uh, chicken, for example, which um, has its pluses and its minuses. As we know, chicken can be really high in linoleic acid and, and it can be quite inflammatory but it can also have certainly have anti-inflammatory benefits too and as far as getting you into ketosis um, and some people that are reactive to other things it's you know you have to choose a lesser evil so we try to promote just the best quality as we can certainly with things like chicken and, and pork yeah no i think that's a very good point and i guess it comes back to you know what, what are you trying to achieve 
with the dietary changes. You know, there's no point saying, right, okay, we'll cut out all the sugar, but then go and have all these other foods which are going to cause you potentially cause you problems. Uh, and this is what I say, you know, to say to patients. I had someone come you know, the other day, they want to start carnivore and they wanted to know what, what should they eat? You know, how strict should they go? And I kind of just said to them, well, you know, what are we trying to treat? You know, what are we trying to achieve? And then let's use that as a guide. If we want to maybe achieve weight loss, well, it's not really a weight loss diet anyway, but most people will lose weight, but we don't need to go necessarily as strict. If we're trying to do a kind of a full exclusion to see if there's anything in your diet that's causing your issues, then yeah, we need to kind of go, you know, really as, as exclusionary as we, as we possibly can. Um, so let, you know, I kind of said, let, let that be your guide, you know, depending on what we're, we're really trying to treat that. As you're right, you know, beef, beef often comes aged. Um, and I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about very good advice. Actually, I didn't really think of this before. Uh, mince, uh, often people put mince, they, they leave it in the fridge, uh, covered or, or uncovered, I don't think it really matters. Um, and, you, and it can age in the fridge uh, and then it can release quite a lot of histamine, I think, on, on, uh, uh, relatively a lot more than just like steak, for example. Um, so they're saying, you know, cook, cook the mince, put the rest in the freezer. You know, get it out, cook it again, put it back in the yeah, freezer. Yeah, that, that's right. Um, as, 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 you know, as, as, you, as you need to, because otherwise then, uh, or, you know, break it up into small pieces first and freeze bits and you know, cook yeah, it. That's, that's so right. it's not aging. Yeah. It's not and, aging. And, and, and any, slow cooking, left, of course. Yeah, sorry, any leftover foods will actually increase histamines. So, you know, that, that yeah. having leftovers of any kind, you really want to get into the freezer as, as soon as you can. But the other thing to consider too is how long – do you remain carnivore? And if someone's just eating muscle meat and steaks, you know, steaks and lean chicken breast, well, obviously you need to address um, address those types of things. Well, some people will be more reactive to eating meats, like chicken is a classic example. If you're eating the fats with that, that we often recommend, but it's also, um, you know, the place where an animal will store toxins in in the fats so that can be problematic for some people too and so there are tweaks like that but also we have to look at getting the right amounts of um, collagen and glycine versus muscle meat so uh, that's something else that you need to consider is someone prepared to get the full kind of variety of your need of organ meats and bone broth and those things that we know really need to be supplemented in in carnivore to get a really good overview of nutrients yeah i, mean, I was going to mention bone broth there uh, of course bone broth you know typically is very high in histamine yes uh, so that is often then an issue as well and i've i've getting uh, got a number of patients with ellis panos uh, at the moment and uh, um struggling you know they're, they're, they're lovely patients they're, they're obviously struggling with ellis panos often they have you know histamine issues yes. uh muscle activation syndrome you know pos most of them tend to just have Absolutely. the full gamut of things there. Yeah, and that's kind of uh, and of course, with lipedema as well. They struggle. Yeah. Yeah, they, they of course struggle with that histamine, uh, which really can can be, be a big issue. Um, speaking of, you know, obviously nu nutrition, uh, I'm keen to know if you explore zinc at all with patients because uh, we know zinc can lead to uh, higher insulin levels and higher insulin resistance, which, of course, we're trying to really treat with the, the, uh, the low-carbon keto there. Um, is zinc something you talk to about with your patients a lot? Because very, very common deficiency, especially here in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't tend to test zinc a lot necessarily because a lot of places aren't really happy to test red, red blood cell zinc and you can get very fluctuating levels with testing serum zinc levels. So I don't tend to do that a lot. Uh, and, but it is absolutely something that we will look at trying to include zinc foods. And if some if people aren't happy to eat foods that are high in zinc, then um, it is something that I will typically supplement with someone that it might just be here, have a, have a bottle and finish it, not necessarily to take for the rest of your days. Uh, zinc is something that you need to be careful that you're not having too much of. It can disturb um, copper balance and you certainly don't want to be taking really 50 milligrams or above, for example, because that is going to cause a, a copper disturbance. But it is such an important nutrient. You know, it's important for thyroid health, um, prostate health, uh, any kind of gland health um, and so much more. You know, obviously your immune system and, you know, I mean, the, the list is endless. You know, it's a cofactor in, in different processes throughout the body and it is 
definitely something nowadays that we don't um, have as much of in our diets. So yes, if people aren't eating those specific foods, it really is something that needs to be included somehow. Yeah, absolutely right. And zinc is involved in so much in the body. I mean, insulin and insulin resistance is just one one small part of that, of course. Uh, probably people have heard, you know, take, take zinc if you have a cold. Uh, there's a reason for that. It doesn't really do much when you actually have a cold, but uh, evidence shows you have to take a lot of zinc so much it will probably, probably kill you. Uh, at least you wouldn't have a cold. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly, uh, it, you know, it, it, it does boost the immune system or rather a low, low level will reduce the immune system. I think maybe one more accurate way of saying it. Um, low level of zinc can, can increase, you know, cortisol levels and stress hormones, which we know can have an adverse effect on the body, of course. Um, and of course, our sex hormones, testosterone, estrogen, you know, progesterone all require zinc, you know, to be produced as well. Um, you're definitely right though. I mean, usually I recommend about 30 milligrams if I'm looking at a tablet, 30 to 40 at most, you know, because uh, people when they're taking 50 milligrams of zinc, they, they can start to then outcompete the copper uh, and then copper can become an issue. And uh, and that one's tricky because copper is copper deficiency or copper excess even, you know, uh, the symptoms can, can be so wild. Uh, it's very hard to pinpoint. And, uh, you know, most doctors probably wouldn't even know you know, what copper is or what it does in the body, they probably wouldn't even know or have a clue, you know, that, that, that this could be copper deficiency. Um, so that can then, you know, present its own issues um, as well. And of course, a lot of supplements, you know, they'll start at 50 uh, for, the, for the zinc. So you have to kind of seek out the ones that are actually a little bit lower. Um, yeah, the zinc, right. zinc yeah. otherwise you need issue. to supplement copper with it. But if someone has high copper levels, that can be really problematic and that's kind of doing more harm than good. So, yeah, you either need to be testing or you certainly would test copper levels before you would supplement it, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm keen to know if you use any other kind of treatment or you recommend any other treatment modalities um, to try and get the, the ketone body production up because we've spoken about low-carbon ketone, of course, a little bit into carnivore there. Um, but I've been getting lately into uh, cold water therapy, and uh, I don't, I don't, I don't have like a plunge bath or anything. I can, I can really do it in. Um, so kind of just standing in, standing in a cold shower for ten minutes a day. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, I, I it's just it makes you feel so good. Um, but I was reading all about. I was thought, I think now I'm going to do some research into this. What is, what is the benefit? Like, is there any physical benefit, or is it actually purely just, just you know, kind of uh, placebo? Um, but I was reading on it all about potentially increasing ketone body production uh, and potentially switching on you know, maybe brown fat as well, um, which is which is really interesting. Um, I wonder if you ever mentioned anything about that to, to your patients. Uh, well, I'm definitely starting to because I've been doing cold therapy myself lately. So I've joined a, a deep club in the, in the town I live in. Uh, we dip in the lake every morning at seven o'clock in the morning. We go in for five minutes and I've, I've started over summer so that I can work my way through winter. So I've started a good six months before the really cold weather so that I can yeah, get through then because of course the benefits just get better over winter. And I walk down by the lake at six o'clock in the morning over winter. So it's not that big a stretch to just kind of dive in and back out for, for five minutes. Um, the first day I joined, we actually did an ice bath and when I first walked up, I said, oh, I'm not doing that. And then when, by the time I'd watched a few people hop in, because I just thought, you know, I don't have to start that far on my, on my first day. And then I thought, well, why wouldn't I just jump in? I can jump straight back out if I want. And so I lasted nearly a minute uh, before the pain on my hands and feet got to, or, you know, the intense sort of burning almost it feels like, which you get used to over time. But just that intense coldness is, is quite a lot, a bit of a shock to the system. Which is, which is part of the, the benefit of it. It's the shock proteins and, and things that it helps to release. But it has definitely helped me. Um, my energy levels uh, haven't quite been... Sorry, that's my okay. kid screaming in the background. Sorry if you heard that. <laughs> um, since uh, post-chemo, my energy levels have certainly never quite recovered. And if I have really big days and I, I you know, work on, on in research and things as well, and if I have a really big day, I, I really struggle to back that up with another big day, which is really frustrating when you're a you know, busy person with a lot of projects on the go. And since I've been, and sort of post-COVID, I think that that almost made that fatigue a little bit worsened it. And, uh, and so I was really struggling with what felt a bit like chronic fatigue for a, for a little while. And then I started this dipping and it has really helped to combat that to the point where if I do the walk and the dip, I'm absolutely full of energy and, you know, yeah, it's, it's really quite a turnaround. 
So the benefits, as you say, are really beneficial, I think, for women with lipedema and lymphedema, and this is my personal opinion because there is nothing to substantiate this, but having dilated and leaky blood vessels and lymphatics, I think having something that helps to counteract that is, is helpful. That's certainly how it feels how it feels to me, and I tend to be more heat tolerant on the really hot days when I'm, when I'm doing that, so I find that to be really interesting and that I'm not perhaps getting as much swelling. Um, but there is also things like, you know, it helps to, uh, it helps to raise, you know, lowering insulin and the cold um, therapy helps to raise uncoupling protein one in the fat cells, which means that the fat cells can then not only perform one function, which is the fat storage, it can then also perform two functions, which is also the thermogenesis and heat production. So that I think can be, you know, is a potential great benefit area to be explored for women with lipedema but certainly beneficial for everyone i know i've had my mm. dna analysis done and i have a lot of obesity genes in my family and have uh, you know that propensity to a lot of white fat cells that aren't beiged and are only you know acting as fat storage um and you know obviously hormone signaling and things as well but um, as far as you know, energy-wise, you're acting in that fat storage phase. So, and, and another study that was released only a couple of weeks ago that talked about it improving glutathione production. And glutathione is our body's master antioxidant and helps to combat mm -hmm. oxidative stress. And so, when we talk about longevity, you know, things like that can really influence that. Um, yeah. So, there's certainly yeah tons of benefits. Yeah, is it is it painful with the lipedema? Because uh, I know, I mean, very 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 cold water can feel painful anyway. But it, do you you think it's more painful than it should be with lipedema? Because there's probably people out there thinking, well, hang on, my legs, you know, my legs are already really painful with lipedema anyway, and now uh, you're expecting me to go and jump into an ice bath. Uh, you know, this this lady's crazy. Um, yeah. Is it is it is it is it more painful? Do you think, or, well, or less painful? Yeah, hard just... to say. I can only go by what I've experienced because it's something that you know, we've yet to get any real feedback from the lipedema cohort. But some women with lipedema do find that the skin is very cold to touch, and I don't have that in my legs. And when I went into the ice bath, I actually. Um, because I've had um, a double mastectomy and I haven't had breast reconstruction surgery and because of my legs, I now wear sort of exercise pants down to my ankles and I wear a rashi that goes down to my wrists when, whenever I go into the, into the water. I don't tend to wear bathers anymore. And, uh, and so the only parts that the ice hurt was, or for me, that, that burned, I should say, rather than hurt, it's not really a, a, a hurt, it's more just, yeah, a burning sort of sensation was my hands and feet that were actually exposed mm. to the ice. So the parts that had the rashi on and the and the long pants uh, didn't have that same, that same effect. It was just the hands and the feet. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. No. Just just interested in your take on that. Uh, certainly. I mean, I started doing you know cold water therapy and and uh, not you know I'm still not really dipping in freezing water just in the shower. But I mean, up here in Brisbane, you know, the cold water is not really that cold anyway. Um, yeah, well, but it certainly, yeah, it certainly, mm. <laughs> it it certainly seems to just wake me up. It really makes me feel feel good. Uh, it's definitely um, improved my energy levels, and my energy levels were really amazing. You know, on carnivore anyway. Um, but I started doing it twice a day, morning and night, and it just, yeah, really just, just, just wakes me up and just makes me feel amazing, which is, which is great. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier before we started recording that you are, um, that you've, you've got a book, um, and you're also co-authoring another book. Yeah, so I have co-authored a recipe book for uh, for lipedema, uh, which was uh, designed for the holiday season. And at the moment, I'm working on a um, it's called a, a guide to medical tests for women with lipedema that I'm working on with an endocrinologist from the US who is considered one of the world's leading experts on lipedema. She specialises in rare fat disorders and uh and yeah dr karen herps so we've been working on that for some time i started pre-sales of the book in june last year i was hoping to that we would have that finished only you know within a few months of that date but um uh, you know all kinds of other pressures come up and um, so many projects that you're working on things get blown out so um uh, we're trying to to finish that up in the moment so i hope hopefully that will be released you know in the next sort of four to eight weeks 
which will be terrific because at the moment there are no tests to diagnose lipedema. So it's not a book that's there to, to help you diagnose lipedema, but it's certainly there to help women uh, navigate their health with women with lipedema navigate their health because at the moment if they're going to a doctor and say right I've been diagnosed with lipedema and the doctor says okay well what would you like me to test and they say mm. well I don't know and doctor's like well I don't know and they they kind of you know not quite sure <laughs> yeah. what's going on so we kind of say okay well you know there's common comorbidities with that and if you know if, if you test these things and, and it's, this happens then you might want to test these things as well but you know obviously there's other things that we want to um, to look into as well, like even, you know, as far as making sure that women are testing, um, uh, setting baselines for bone health and those types of things as well. Yeah, sorry, if anyone can hear the screaming in the background, my kids are, obviously the films, the films run out. <laughs> um, so all three of them trying to come in the room now. Uh, so obviously the door lock doesn't doesn't seem to work very well. Never mind, never mind. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean it's really important. Obviously, uh, you know when it comes to these things, there's um, doctors don't always know what to do. Um, doctors don't always know what to do, and it can be can be difficult there. Uh, obviously, uh, and it's, yeah, it's very, very important um, that people, uh, the doctors also and patients can get a sense of what blood tests, you know, might be useful for them. Because, yeah, very often, you know, people have these these medical conditions and they go to the doctor and say, look, I, you know, I think I have this issue. And the doctor says, okay, um, what, what do I do? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and the then the patient says, I don't know, like, mm. you're, you're, the, you're, you're the doctor, you tell me. And the doctor says, well, I don't know, I don't even know this condition even exists. Or, exactly. There's nothing we can do, or you know, because medical school can only cover so much. Yeah. And often, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, what we learn as doctors is is kind of on the job, you know, learning um, because you can't you've got textbooks, of course, and so forth, but they can't they can't cover everything, and certainly not in the level of detail that, that you know that you need. Um, so a book, you know, for people that can actually go and go into the doctor and say, look, you know, I've got this thing. Uh, these are tests that might be useful for me. These are treatments that might be useful for me. You know that that sounds like a really, really very good idea. Um, you mentioned, of course, some pre-sales. So, um, how can people find find the book? So they can find the book on my website, which is ichoosehealth.com.au, and you can still order uh, pre-sale copies. Yeah, until until it's released, yeah, it's hopefully very, very soon. <laughs> Fantastic. Hopefully soon. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like it's been it's been a while in the making. So I'm sure that'll be a really good book. And yeah. uh, anyone out there that's struggling with with lipedema certainly should should go and check that yeah, out. Yes, so because it also um, talks about just to finish that off. It it also does talk about nutrient deficiencies and what are common for women with lipedema. Because for example, vitamin D is very common uh, to be very low in women with lipedema. And so that's super important that women have those things tested because, as you know, vitamin D is just important for so many things, not only, you know, uh, bone health but energy levels and all the types of things, um, the, the immune system, everything that's going to help, you know, with insulin metabolism. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of things there that, that people need to consider based on, okay, well, if you're, you know, if you've had bariatric surgery, for example, um, that's something that you need to take into consideration as well. Well, what, what is the scope of what you'll be low on? And it's not just sometimes just as easy as taking a multivitamin and everything will be fine because, as we know, multivitamins are loaded with things like calcium, magnesium um, and iron because they just pop everything in there. But those things all compete for absorption. And so, you know, you might need to make sure that you're perhaps yeah, getting, um, getting those things elsewhere or taking them in the right combinations and timing. That's right. I mean, people. A lot of people do just um, rely on multivitamins, but then they they don't realise that maybe you know, they've got competing things in, in the same product, or you know, that actually they're trying to get their their uh, you know, let's just say, for example, they're trying to get their copper levels up, but then their zinc's already high. Yeah, you know, they're and then they're supplementing even more zinc in their in their multivitamin or multivitamin. You know, their copper can go down even more. That's yeah, just one example, but. Um, the vitamin D, of course, we know that you know the, the biggest biggest uh, form of that is from the sunlight, of course. Um, some people will need to to take that vitamin D tablet. Um, do you notice if people can improve with lipedema with taking vitamin D? 
And is there a certain level that maybe people should be aiming for in the, in the blood test, for example? Well, I think, well, in the blood tests, we like that to be up between 80 and 100. So, you know, just being in the range is definitely not enough in vitamin D. You really want to be up near the top end of the range. You don't want to be super high either because that can be problematic as well. Uh, but certainly usually 80 to 100 is where we, we like to see it. There can be a lot of contributing factors to vitamin D. For example, you know, is it someone who has an also has an autoimmune disorder that you might think about differing levels as well. Um, but the other thing is how much weight is someone carrying because vitamin D can be sequestered into the fat cells. So it might be that you don't have as much circulating vitamin D and you need to take that into, a, into account as well. And then, you know, via the other token, if someone is in a weight loss phase, that you need to monitor it as well and maybe start reducing vitamin D levels as it goes the other way, as you would with other you know, medications, for example. Mm -hmm. no, absolutely. Um, I'm conscious of, of your time um, and uh, we've been for an hour or so now. Is there anything that we haven't spoken about that you would, would like to mention uh, to our viewers and listeners? Well, I think just to finish off with, with lipedema, that it is certainly something that, you know, we're really aiming to help to stop progression is the first place. So aiming to stop that, to, you know, to reduce insulin, to reduce the rapid weight gain and certainly the lifestyle weight that can really accompany that and make things worse because if you get too much weight gain, uh, lifestyle weight gain with lipedema, it can progress into lipolymphedema. So you then get that secondary lymphedema and that can cause a lot of complications as well. And then you start to really you know, be losing mobility and, and that so forth. But the other thing that's important for people to know and to give them hope is that there are other conservative treatment methods that can be really helpful that differs to obesity as well because it's things like to deal with the leakiness that we get in the, in the capillaries. Uh, that, so conservative treatment can include things like uh, compression garments is uh, really helpful for anyone with lipedema, um, depending on what's, what stage you're at as well, but certainly for anyone with lymphedema in the mix or anyone who just has lymphedema, compression garments, you know, uh, are a, a huge component to that. And then there are other conservative measures that, that can help as well. And, of course, some people choose to have um, surgery, lymph-sparing surgery. Uh, you really want to be making sure that you're going to someone who really knows what they're doing and is familiar with lipedema and lymphedema, not just a cosmetic surgeon. And, uh, yeah, so I think that's the main thing to, to go to a physio. If you think you may have lipedema, you can head to lipedemaaustralia.com.au. That's a fantastic website that will have some great information. And you can also speak with a doctor who is familiar with lipedema or a physiotherapist or a lymphedema specialist who are familiar with lipedema. So there's a few different places you can go to uh, and, um, you know, to, yeah, to, to try to get some more information on it to get a diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you're on the advisory board, I think, as well, you said, for the Lipidina Australia, is that right? That's right, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, I know from, from, your, from your bio, I mean, there's so much we haven't spoken about um, that, that you also help women or people that women, of course, with uh, through low-carbon keto. You mentioned, of course, lymphedema a number of times. We haven't touched on really that that much today. Um, obesity, type two diabetes, of course, and, and breast cancer. So, perhaps if you're if you're willing to, you know, we can get you back on the show at some point and talk about those other aspects there as well. Would be would be great. Um, how can people uh, find you? How can people get a hold of you? Of course, we've already mentioned your website, but just for the listeners again, if you can maybe just reiterate that. Yeah, so if you hop on, on the website, I've, um, you know, you can uh, certainly look to do a strategy session with me. So one of the things I think is frustrating for people, particularly if you've tried so many things out there, you know, it's a lot of money to manage these conditions. So I offer a 30 minute free consult to have a chat with people and let them know how I think I might be able to help them. But it also gives people the opportunity to think, well, are you the right person for me? You know, you click with some people and not others. Some people, you need to kind of feel like you're identifying with someone and that, that they're really hearing you and, and getting where you're coming from so uh, yeah feel free to book in for a strategy session for anyone listening who thinks that they may um, have this condition or anything associated with you know type 2 diabetes or breast cancer that um, yeah I'm always happy to chat with people yeah and yeah that's ichoosehealth.com.au is that right that's it yeah perfect and are you on social media at all 
Uh, I am. Yes, I have uh, Facebook, which I tend to under my own, um, under Megan Pfeffer, or I do have uh, I Choose Health Megan Pfeffer, um, Instagram, or um, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, I'll, I'll put all those those links in the uh, description for the episode anyway, of course. And it's Pfeffer with a, with a silent P at the start, if anybody's frantically Googling <laughs> Megan now to try and find her. It's Pfeffer with a silent P. Um, well, thank you so much, uh, Megan. This has been absolutely fantastic. I've, I've learned a lot today. Hopefully, our, our, our listeners have as well. Um, lipedema is something that we, we certainly can, you know, we certainly do see. It's not something I've seen very much of myself as a doctor. So... Um, but I think, as you said, it, it is probably more common than, than perhaps people people realise. Um, so if anyone out there is is struggling with what they think is lipedema, definitely um, you know perhaps book one of those consultations uh, with Megan so so you can have a good chatter and see how how she can help. Um, thank you to uh, to everyone for tuning into this episode of the Lean Medic Podcast. Thank you so much, Megan. This has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Um, all the best to everyone out there. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Thank you for this. Li- Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help to spread the word that how, how we can improve mental and physical health through diet and nutrition. If you are imp- interested in improving your own... Okay, let's just re-record that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meet Medic Podcast. If you found this episode useful, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help out the channel to grow. If you have found this useful and you want to improve your physical and mental health further, please do check out my website, themeetmedic.com, where you can find all my eBooks are currently 50% off with the code 50OFF. That's code 50OFF, 50OFF, O-double-F, for 50% off all ebooks. Take care. Thank you. See you in the next episode.